Welcome to Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Visionaries Global Media, envisioning excellence on a global scale. Welcome to episode 4 of the SJP Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Sai, and uh, before we go any further, first of all, I just want to take a moment today to say thank you for all the positive comments, messages, and general positive feedback I've had about the show online. I really appreciate all the kind words. Um, it means, uh, it makes me dipping my toes into this podcast world seem a little more worthwhile. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much to everyone who's messaged me, whether on Twitter or privately, uh, to say they've enjoyed the show so far. That's great. I just hope that you can continue to enjoy it as we go forward. Um, On that note, as always, if you want to contact the show to give any feedback or suggest guests, whether that's um, someone you want me to talk to or yourself, um, or put forward or discuss any topics at all, then please do so. You can find the show on Facebook and Twitter. Um, at SJP Wrestling Pod, and you can find me, Sai, uh, at SJP Words. On the subject of topics, we have a change to the planned subject today. Initially, this week's show was going to be a part of our month-long look at Clash of the Champions events. However, that is being put on hold for a week, as I had the chance to speak with an amazing guest, and I wanted to bring you that conversation right away. Next week, we will be looking at some of the very best Clash of Champions matches, very much with a view of um, looking at hidden gems, uh, matches that maybe get overlooked, as well as some of the more obvious classics. Um, please get your suggestions to me via Twitter again on SJP Wrestling Pod or at SJP Words for any matches that you think are worthwhile looking at. Um, so yeah, that, I mean that's that's next week. Um, as I mentioned today, we have a brilliant guest. Um, we are speaking with UK independent wrestler Yestin Reese. Yestin has a wealth of experience having worked all over the UK and abroad, um, featuring for companies such as IPW, PCW, Reach Wrestling, Evolution Wrestling, um, ICW, many, many more. So many places he's popped up, which is a testament to how talented the man is. We discuss how Yestin got into the business initially, um, the experience of wrestling overseas, Having matches for NXT UK, uh, Mr. Reese also gives us a fascinating insight into the ITV World of Sport wrestling reboot show that they put on. Um, he was a big part of. It's a real look behind the curtain there. It's, it's a fantastic conversation. I cannot thank Yestin enough for taking the time to talk with me. Um, he's a fantastic talent in the ring. I always really enjoy seeing him at my local Evolution wrestling shows. Um, and he's also an intelligent and interesting gentleman to talk to out of the ring as well. Anyway, enough of me waffling on. Um, please get your suggestions for Clash of the Champions matches in to the show, as I said. But now, right away, with no further ado, the alpha male himself, Yestin Reese. The alpha male himself, Mr. Yestin Reese. How are we doing, sir? Not too bad, not too bad. Simon, how are you doing? 
Yeah, I'm very good, thanks. I'm very good. Good. Um, good. As I've said to my previous guests, I'm very new to this process, so please try and be patient with me if uh, there's any technical issues I may come across. Yeah, no problem. We've got plenty of time, so uh, yeah, no, no worries at all. No, thank you very much for uh, taking your time to have a chat with me today. I really, really appreciate you sparing a bit of time for me and my show. It's a, it's a fantastic thing, so thank you very much for that. No problem at all. Happy, happy to be on here. Great stuff. Thank you. Um, okay, I guess initially we'll, we'll start at the beginning. How did you um, first discover wrestling as a fan? Uh, how did you first stumble across this, uh, this crazy world with which you now entertain people yourself in? Yeah, so I was about seven or eight years old. And my cousin, I never had Sky TV. We never had it when I was a kid. But my cousin got Sky. And obviously this is when they were showing superstars and uh, and everything on there and what he'd do is I'd probably see my cousins about once a month once every six weeks so he'd record all the the superstars for me on one one tape long play if uh, for all the kids that don't know what that is they'll probably have to go and google it um, <laughs> so he, he'd give me this tape you know he's oh yes then I've got all the wrestling for you so you know I just watch squash match after squash squash match after squash match and I had my favorites and then he um he videoed I was gonna say downloaded then he videoed um uh, WrestleMania seven. Um, and the match that really captivated me and, and got me hooked was, um, the Macho Man versus Ultimate Warrior, um, retirement match. I, oh, I, was, yeah. a ma- I was a massive Ultimate Warrior fan from all the, <clears throat> all the squash matches and stuff on superstars. And that match, you know, for, it was about 28 minutes long, I think. And it just literally, when I was, you know, seven or eight years old, however old I, I was at the time, just literally had me enthralled. I didn't want, you know, I didn't want the Ultimate Warrior to lose. I didn't want him to have to retire. So I was fully invested. And and then it sort of just carried on from there. I watched as much as I could. And then um, my cousin, we, he didn't end up sending sending as many videos. And I kind of fell away from wrestling just because I had no access to it. And then obviously heard that the Royal Rumble was going to be on uh, Channel 4 in 2000. And I videoed it got really early watched it before i went to school and and just been hooked ever since then again basically ah okay brilliant um i mean that's that's kind of similar to to how i went in as a fan as well i mean the warrior was quite a big part of my fandom when i was younger um yeah absolutely. The, me my auntie gave me a, a random videotape i don't know why she thought i was a wrestling fan i had no interest at the time i was it was SummerSlam 89 so i'd have been eight eight years old and the match against stood out for me there was a warrior match against Rick Rude, and I just thought the guy was fantastic. So it's quite interesting how he stood out to yourself as well from from that standpoint. And the whole getting people to record things for you and waiting for the tapes is something I went through as well. So that's that's quite funny how similar that is. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, I think when you're a kid, when you're seven, eight years old, and you see you see the Ultimate Warrior, you know, he just he just jumps out. You know, to an eight year old kid, if you showed an eight year old kid now the Ultimate Warrior he would jump out the screen and, you know, the guy looked like he should have been, you know, an action hero in the movies, you know, he's colorful face paint gears, a million different colors. He'd run to the ring. He'd beat people in two minutes straight. So as a seven, eight year old kid, you're like, this guy's great. The greatest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Shakes the ropes. He goes mad. Boom, boom, boom. Job done. Yeah. The crazy hair, the tassels on the arms, everything. Yeah. Isn't all of that. yeah absolutely fantastic stuff. Um, so, with with regards to the warrior, then were there any others that stood out to you? Any any sort of 
first yeah, or childhood favourites? My two other favourites were both tag teams. So it was the Rockers. Um, I think, again, when you're a young kid and they're coming down and they're wearing flashy gear and doing flashy moves, you know, they were just the coolest thing ever. And then the, uh, the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors, are just, you know, when you, again, when you're seven, eight years old and you see the two biggest blokes you've ever seen with face paints and five-inch spikes coming out of their shoulders when they're walking down, you think, <laughs> yeah, those two could be a, any bloke I've ever met in my entire life. Those two could uh, definitely beat him up. I think probably that's, that's true in real life as well as uh, on the wrestling front. Yeah, I mean, there's there's quite a few stories about hawk and animal in bars, isn't there? Sort of uh, yeah, I think stamping their authority and <laughs> yeah, legit tough guys. I think those two were definitely uh, definitely up there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it's very similar to myself. I mean, SummerSlam '92 when they rode the bikes down and so on. It's quite it's the visual, I suppose. And as you're older, you sort of you realise more as to why that might appeal. But when you're a kid, it just appeals. You don't know why. It just looks fantastic, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, they, the they just. Seeing. <laughs> the coolest two blokes you've ever seen. They were huge. They were jacked, you know, everything about it. Again, the face paint, you know, just, that was just wrestling to me. They, they were just the, the coolest thing on, you know, coolest thing going. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And you say you sort of fell away for a little while and then yeah. the raw rumble on channel four and 2000 sort of brought you back in. Um, was it just literally a case of, Oh, I remember that wrestling thing. I'll, I'll, I'll stick a tape in, or did it? Did you see adverts for it to get you yeah, excited? So I, or you know, I've I, I flicked in and out, and whenever I'd been on holiday or you were somewhere that had Sky, you know, the wrestling would come on, and I'd watch it, and I'd see people I remembered. You know, if you were watching, you know, ninety eight, ninety nine, WCW, oh, I remember the match, man. Oh, I remember this guy. I remember that guy. You'd, you'd, you know, you'd heard about Stone Cold Steve Austin. You know, I kind of missed that initial boom period of Austin. I just. You know, it, it, I just didn't watch wrestling at that time, so I yeah. didn't have any facility. But you knew who Steve Austin was. You knew who The Rock was. You know, you, you heard these names. And then, you know, I saw that it was going to be on Channel 4. I thought, oh, brilliant, wrestling. Let's let's give it a watch. Let's see what it's all about. And that, that show to me, and it'll probably come up when we talk about some of the questions later on, you know, that show to me is one of the best standalone pay-per-views going from start to finish. You know, everything about it is a, it's a quality pay-per-view. Yeah, there's so many great memories from that show. I mean, I rewatched it not long ago, and it, it is a fantastic pay per view. It's really good. But like I said, I imagine we'll touch on that a bit later on. Um, yeah. Where where did the interest to start training come from then? How how and when really was the decision made that you were going to give this a go? Yeah, so I was I was in sixth form when <clears throat> in 2000, and then you know I was I was a, I was a decent basketball player at the time. Basketball was my main main sort of sport, and I went, okay. to, I went to university in Manchester. That was 2002 when I went to um, University of Manchester. And I was playing basketball there, and I was playing to a good standard. I was playing in the, the under-20s um, National League team and the men's Division Three National League team. And then when I finished university and I came back home, there was no decent basketball around this area. And I'd seen the wrestling channel on satellite TV or cable TV, and I'd seen a couple of adverts for British wrestling schools, but they were always too far away or I thought oh you know maybe I'm you know I always saw wrestlers as being six foot five and 20 stone so I thought oh, I'm probably not big enough to be a wrestler and then I watched a bit of the British wrestling on there and I thought well these guys you know I think I'm in you know as big as these guys you know and then I did some research and I found there was a couple of schools around and the one that stood out to me you know at that time for sort of professionalism and, and the way that it sort of portrayed itself on its website was 4FW mm-hmm. so I just 
drove down there one Sunday morning to the training school. They didn't have the ring because the ring was being used on a, a show that night. So it was just literally training on mats. But from that first session, you know, I went and thought, well, if I'm useless at it or, you know, the training's crap or whatever, it's one Sunday. What, what have I lost from it? And I just went and I was hooked and I've been doing it ever since, basically. Yeah, okay. I mean, was with regards to that going down, driving that, whereabouts was it that they trained? So, yeah, they were, they, 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 I mean, they still are, their shows, you know, are based in Swindon. So the school was based in Swindon at their, okay. their first ever venue called the, the Pioneers People Centre, which is like a community centre that had a, a hall and you used to run training out of there all day on a Sunday and shows there once a month as as well. So, yeah, you know, I was lucky enough. And there was there was some good talent that was around the school at the time as well. Um, Matt Lomax was there. Um and then Gilligan Gordon, I you know I knew him from outside of wrestling, and he was a massive wrestling fan, so I got him to come along. Um, so yeah, it was it was a good school, it was a good environment to learn in, um, and I was lucky enough that it led on to all the other things that I've done, basically. Yeah, no, I see. Okay, I mean, with regards to that, then going to your first session, was there anything that really? I mean, were you nervous walking in the door the first time? Was there anything that shocked you? Anything that you weren't prepared for? Um, I wouldn't say there was anything that shocked me. I think. When you go when you when you turn up to a rugby training session or a basketball training session, you've got mm-hmm. a fair idea of what you're going to be doing because the rules of rugby or the laws of rugby and the rules of basketball are, are, are well known, you know, and you understand that. Whereas I was turning up to wrestling, you know, and I knew wrestling was a work, and I, you know, and I yeah. knew all this stuff because you know, but I didn't know the ins and outs and the mechanics of it, if that makes sense. Okay, and that's yeah. what I suppose I was more. There was a bit of trepidation about it. I was like, well, how does it work? And, you know, am I going to be able to grasp the fact, you know, how the, the ins and outs of the, you know, making the wrestling work work? The sort of mechanics of it. Yeah, sort of the thing. mechanics yeah. of it and stuff like that. Because, you know, you know, without blowing my own trumpet, I'm a, I'm a good natural sportsman. I've, I've played, you know, decent sports at a, a good level, at lots of different things. And, you know, and I felt that, I was hoping that I was I would that would translate to being good at wrestling, but then I was like, what if it doesn't? What if I'm what if I'm crap at wrestling? It's something I've always wanted to do, and I'm crap. At it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know where you're coming from. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so then, uh, how many sessions did it take before you realised, oh, okay, okay, I'm all right with this. I know what yeah, I'm doing here. Pro- probably about a month, month to six weeks in. I, you know, I, I could see that I was progressing quicker than than other people that had started around a similar sort of time to me and obviously I was getting good feedback from uh Dave Sharp and some of the other guys that were doing the training there um and it was just because once I'd got the grasp of those initial mechanics I could feel that you know I, I had a good understanding of you know how your body's supposed to move what you're supposed to do and stuff like that but it took me a while so I started training in sort of July 2005 and then I've been training it was October that year that I got sort of squashed in, in an October match and a November match and then I made my proper sort of debut on the on their sort of main shows early in the, in the following year. So I was pretty quick getting from, from training because in training was only once a week. You know, it's not like schools now that run three or four sessions a week. Um, you know, so I feel that I, I made pretty good progress and, I, you, know, I, I, you know, I progressed well in the training to get to the point where I was used on shows and used, you know, in decent positions, you know, fairly early, I would say. Yeah, okay, I see. Um, with regards to those early training sessions and early shows then, were there many other people there at that period that are still working around the UK now that yeah. we'd know? 
Yeah, Dave was was really good. He used to bring in a lot of talent from other areas to try and help his trainees get better. So guys that, that um, I wrestled against personally within my first sort of six months of being on shows, Dave Mastiff, Martin uh-huh. Stone, who's known as Danny Birch in NXT, um, Shah Samuels and Terry Fraser, the cartel, uh, Luke Phoenix. So these were guys that, you know, these are guys that have gone on and done stuff you know, all over the world of wrestling and also yeah. been the top guys in British wrestling for a number of years. And, and I, I was basically, you know, thrown to the wolves in, in some respect, you know, fairly green trainee, early wrestler, getting there with, you know, some of the best guys in the country. But it was a learning experience. It was a way that Dave could facilitate me learning more from going out and working a, a 10, 15 minute match with these guys that were at the time, you know, much higher level than I was basically. Yeah, I see. I mean, that was actually going to be, you know, one of my next questions with regards to your first couple of matches. Um, you, you say you were fairly green, and, but you were put in to get more experience working with these other guys. Um, did you actually feel ready yourself there? I mean, and you say it was more so the promoter that made the decision? Yeah, I mean, I, I felt ready and I felt confident in my ability, but it was, okay. it was, it was a, you know, I felt confident I could go out and have a match, but it was a learning experience, as in these guys have been doing it two, three, four, five years more than me. And they, you know, I would come and they say, right, what can you do? And da, 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 da. and I'd give them the, the basis of what I could do. But then they pushed me further because they had that more experience. So therefore they could say, right, we need to do this here. And you need, and it was more the feedback that I got after the matches as well. So they were saying, you know, you did this well and this well, but this wasn't very good. This was crap. And, the, and, and they were good because they took the time to explain what was bad, why it was bad and how I could improve it. And that, right. you know, and I've always been someone, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very self-critical. I'm very, you know, I, I, I like uh, constructive criticism. So I took on board the stuff that they were saying and I, you know, and I, I worked on that, you know, next training session, right? They said I had to do this when I was doing this or, you know, sell in a certain way or be more aggressive. So I took that on board and, and then, you know, the next time I wrestled a guy that was a lot better than me, he didn't say the same things. It would be different critiques of certain different, you know, different aspects of it. So I, I tried my best to try and, you know, learn and, and progress every time I got in the ring w- with these guys, basically. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it, it must be fantastic to have so many different um, talents to work and learn from, I guess. I mean, was there anything you heard again and again and you sort of started thinking, oh, I, I just cannot get this aspect? Was there anything that you found frustrating no, or was it, was, it all, all it quite was, straightforward for you? No, it was... The big thing was selling, you know, and I think this is a thing that comes with a lot of trainees is, is that often you don't sell enough. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I always preach when I'm training people, you know, even if you feel you're overselling, remember that you're, you're trying to make an audience that could be 20 feet away from the ring, 200 feet away from the ring, or in some cases, you know, near, near enough 200 meters away from the ring, you know, when you're talking about these big big arenas and stuff like that. If you want to get to that level, you've got to be able to portray, not just for that front row of fans that are six feet away from the ring, you've got to be able to portray whatever's happening in the ring to people that are 300 feet away from you. And if you can do, that's how you use your whole body to sell, you know, and you make it a big spectacle, basically, of what you're doing so that everyone can understand it. Yeah, no, I see. Yeah, I mean, and again, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it, when you think about it? But until it's maybe pointed out to you, it may not be something that people realise. Yeah, and you, you know, you could think, oh, I'm doing the facials and I'm doing this little body movement on, you know, but when, you know, those people in the front row can see it, 
but if you're in a room and there's 200 people there and 100 people can't really see what you're doing or or get the idea of what you're selling and stuff like that it's you know you, you're not going to get them all invested in the match basically so it's, it's mm. using the selling to then you know invest people in in the match you know because i was you know i was an underdog sort of baby face at the time so to you know you wanted that then people to understand that you're in pain and, and almost empathize and sympathize with you so then when you get that that chance to come back on that bad guy that's just beating you up for 10 minutes that crowd's all going to come with you and, and that is you get that through the selling basically yeah no i understand okay i mean you, you say about being um sort of underdog baby face at the time um in you in the next year or two after that i suppose you, you sort of uh, from just looking into your career, you started working places like Safe Wales, Championship Wrestling, ICW, and so on. Um, was it always that kind of gimmick in your early days? When did the alpha male gimmick kind of kind of come in, and how did you settle upon that? So it, the alpha male was sort of a progression of, you know, an evolution of where I was. So I worked in Swindon initially as a babyface, and then I had a turn where. I won the championship and I turned on the hometown guy, Dave Sharp. Okay. Uh, and, and then I became irresistible, yes, in Reese. So I was, you know, I was getting bigger, I was getting musclier on tour, you know, I felt I was good looking and better looking than everyone else that was around, you know. So I, then it came up with a sort of irresistible moniker. And that was the sort of moniker that, and the, 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 the persona that, that traveled with me, South Wales, IPW, and all those places that I was working initially. And it was just, you know, without sounding big it was something that matched well with how I looked, how I wrestled. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you just take a little bit of your personality and you, you turn that up to a thousand basically. Yeah. So taking that, that little bit of an overconfident, you know, sometimes a bit, you know, arrogant prick and just turning that up to <laughs> a, you know, up to a thousand basically. No, I see. I see. Okay. Um, so did you find that easier then than working as the underdog babyface? Was it was it more natural to you to to wrestle as a heel in that in that character? Or it definitely became it definitely was a, a natural and easy thing to do. And I think that people get surprised because most people see me wrestling as a as a bad guy, and I think people don't you know when they see me wrestle as a as a good guy, they're they're actually quite surprised. And I, I, I took to both quite well because there were some shows where I was prim- you know always being used as a good guy and then other shows where I was always being used as a bad guy. And I, and I was pretty lucky that I was able to sort of hone, hone my craft in, in both on both sides of that divide, you know, and, and I feel that it, it, it helped me be a better villain because I knew what the bad guy was looking to do and, and vice versa, basically. Yeah. I've seen that. I mean, that's, that's got a really clever and good way of putting it, isn't it? If you've got experience of working both sides of the coin, so to speak, you can sort of, know what the other guy needs or requires sometimes maybe even before he does especially if he's less experienced than yourself yeah and, and it got to the point when i ended up working for welsh wrestling i was i was working initially as a as a baby face there and i was having a, a lot of the time i was more experienced than the heels that i was working with so I, I then got into the thing where i was calling the matches from underneath which is a, a skill that not you know often it's the villain that controls the match and controls mm-hmm. the face of the match. Whereas I was the baby face and I was calling the match from underneath. And it's, it's just, and it's something I still end up doing now because often I'm, when I am a baby face, I tend to be a lot more experienced than the guys that are in there with me. So I t- tend to call the match from underneath or, you know, it depends on who I'm working and, and their abilities as well. But it's just something that I've got in the habit of doing as well. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so, so from there, um, working, 
these these other companies and so on. How how did it go with regards to getting booked at that early stage? Did you find getting booked easy? Was it was it word of mouth through others recommending you? Yeah, it, it wasn't like you know today. You know, I, I'd be telling everyone to message every promoter, have a music video or a highlight video or a short match so you can send people. Back then, it was very much that you you were recommended by people that were already working at another company, and the promoter would take a look at you, and and then it would go from there. So I was very lucky that. You know, some of these experienced guys, your Shah Samuels, your Dave Mastiffs, your Martin Stones, you know, they felt that I'd done a good enough job when I was working against them. And, and IPW was the first place that sort of was a big company that opened its doors to me. And it was on on the back of these, you know, me being recommended by these guys, you know. So back then it was, you know, and, and recommendation still goes a long way now. But I feel that it was definitely a bigger part of people getting booked at certain companies back then, basically. No, I see. I see. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And how how was it though? I suppose uh, walking into these other companies for the first time, if somebody's recommended you, I'm assuming you knew somebody from in the locker room already, so to speak. But was there times when you walked in somewhere and you weren't particularly well known to the people there, or was yeah, there an the occasion first... where it was awkward? Or yeah, the first couple of times I worked for All Star Wrestling, uh, they were running a show. I remember this is the... <laughs> this is a funny story. So. They were running a show at Cheltenham Town Hall, and, and I messaged the promoter Brian Dixon, and I, and I, you know, and I said, "Oh, I'm a, I'm a local lad, and um, you know, would it be possible? For, you know, and I said, and I, this is the actual. I said, would it be possible for me to come and try out so you can have a look at me? And he said, "Yeah, come down." So I, I went down early, and I helped him set up the ring at the town hall, um, and James Mason was there, and there was a couple of guys that had been training at the. Um, all-star school and basically they just got one of these guys in the ring with me and we just wrestled around for five ten minutes and brian was like yep cool yep you're good can you be at can you be at minehead for two o'clock tomorrow and we'll get you on the show so that was sort of the only time that i sort of tried out for a british company per se um and that was happening then i went down to that minehead show and there was no one that i knew in the locker room i just turned up and hi i'm here with the wrestling you know um, yeah you know, and, and luckily, um, guy, uh, Mikey Whiplash and Robbie Dynamite were on the show and they could see I was <clears throat> obviously a, a younger guy that was a little bit not knowing what was going on and they kind of showed me the ropes, basically. I see. Okay. I mean, did you have to, um, again, you hear, as a fan, you hear all these things that may be true, may not be true and so on. Um, and you hear quite regularly about new guys having to go around and shake the hand of everyone else and to a certain yeah. is that is that the case when you go in somewhere like that or yeah it's, i mean it's something that's kind of been lost a bit more recently and i think when you go back and you look at the history of wrestling that the handshaking was something that was done to show that a you had respect for the business and b you had respect for everyone in the locker room and and you were mm-hmm. going to be safe for the guy that you were working so it was, and it was just a, a courtesy thing that you that was sort of expected what you did. So I went in the locker room, hi, I'm Yestin, hi, I'm Yestin, you know, round to everyone. Yeah. And, you know, and then you'd find out who you were working and you'd go and have a chat with them and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think it's something that that should be done. A, you know, and, and, and I hear different, different stuff. Well, when you work in an office, you don't go around and, and shake everyone's hands every time you get there. You don't go around and introduce yourself. But when you're working in an office, you're potentially not doing something that could leave another guy with a broken neck whereas yeah of course you know, i personally this is just my personal opinion it's something that 
you know, should be carried on. And it's just a sign of respect to the business and the people that have gone before you and a sign of respect for you and the rest of the locker room that, that you could be trusted and you're safe and you're introducing yourself to everyone. But that's my take on it. Some people might say I'm a little bit old fashioned, but it's never done me any harm going around and saying hello to 10, 15 different people. No, I mean, again, it's a respect thing, isn't it? I mean, obviously, I'm very much uh, outside looking in. So hearing these these little tales and little little moments that that, that happened or <coughs> in the locker room behind the closed door, so to speak, it is fascinating to me. And I, I view it, again, from outside looking in as a respect thing. And the way you've explained that, I completely agree with. I mean, I, old school or whatever, I, I don't think there's any issues with respect in any situation. So to me, that's that's a great way to be behaving in general, I think. No, absolutely. I think it's just, you know, respect for yourself, respect for the business and respect for the, the rest of the locker room is is a good thing to have. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, with regards to that, I was sort of going around the locker room and so on. Um, you worked out in Austria for the EWA. Yeah. Um, and this, this sort of thing absolutely fascinates me uh, with regards to... <laughs> The, the, the sort of fan interaction for a start, the people who are attending the shows, are there any major differences? Are there any language barriers with the people you're working with? The whole, the whole thing of working in the UK and then going elsewhere really interests sure. me. Yeah, so um, language barrier with um, your opponent. Um, a couple of times, you know, they all speak, you know, I'm not, they're not relying on me of knowing any German. Let's put, let's put it that, let's put it that far <laughs> to start off with. So most of them speak very, very good English. And that's very, and that's, I'm really fortunate with that because if we were trying to get by on my German, they don't want to know that I've got a sister who's got blonde hair and blue eyes and I've got a house with four windows <laughs> and a door. And you so might know where the library is or something yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> um, so we're very fortunate that the, the majority of them speak really good English. So, from that perspective, it's, you know, the language barrier is never really an issue. Now, certain technical bits of the match that you might talk, you know, have a certain set of words or, or you know, names for something and they might call it something different. So sometimes, you know, it takes a bit of time to, to get the exacts worked out. But um, the one thing I love about Austria um, is that it's like wrestling maybe 10, 15 years ago from a crowd perspective, I think that kayfabe is much more alive over there. Oh, okay. they, they, they all probably know us at work, but it's they, the fans appear to get more invested in the shows. Like, you know, I've been in near riots when I've been the villain over there and I'm beating up the, the hometown hero and stuff like that. That's you fantastic. Know. I mean, that's, that's like Jim Cornette heat, isn't it? That's, yeah, that's, that's what you should be. That's really, that's what you must be aiming for. You must love that. Absolutely, and, and 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 the fans are very respectful, you know, and and there's never any, you know, there's never any issues or anything like that. You get incredibly well treated over there, you know. There's you know stuff that you know it should be part and parcel of every show. Unfortunately, isn't you know you go backstage and you know I, when I was out there in July last year, we were backstage and there was two great big cookers, one with chicken and rice in, one with pork and chips in and then there's more bottles of water and energy drinks and you could drink backstage oh, and then and then about seven or eight crates of beer as well for after the matches and stuff like that as well so you get well looked after over that's there. fantastic <laughs> um you know and that's you know it's just it's just a great experience and, and i've been lucky enough to go to austria germany 
off the back of wrestling and you get to see some parts of the world that you perhaps wouldn't have been able to see and stuff like that. And, and, you know, I just, you know, Austrians, are ve- the, the promoters are very respectful. The fans are great. And it's just a great place to go and work basically. Yeah. I mean, that does sound, that does sound great. Yeah. Um, is that not always the case in this country then? I mean, you work for um, numerous companies now, don't you? you? You sort of, for want of a better term, you pop up all over the place, don't you? In various, <laughs> different, various different companies, various different promotions and so on, which again is a testament to, to how good you are. I mean, if, 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 you, if you weren't up to scratch, you wouldn't be doing that, would you? So it must be, it must be quite a confidence boost that these people want to have you there working for them. But is yeah. that not always the case in this country? Is there... Is, um, is, I just think that in Austria you get very spoiled. You know, most right, shows, okay. you know, most shows over here, you know, I've I've wrestled in, in stuff where literally ten guys are getting changed behind a curtain and, and there's two foot a gap and then you're literally going out on stage and out on the show. So I've uh-huh. I've been in every I've been in everything from the smallest halls you can imagine to some of the biggest arenas in the country, you know, and I've wrestled everywhere in between. I think that, you know, it would be great if there was water back you know bottles of water backstage at every venue um you know food put on for you i understand that promoters have a budget and often you know providing that stuff isn't you know first and foremost because yeah the, the budget is tight you know it's great when it happens and i've been on lots of british shows where we've been extremely well looked after and there's been food drinks and what what whatever backstage it's just not the norm unfortunately but i think that's due to the number of shows <clears throat> ran in britain you know the the you know you in austria there's probably only three or four companies okay. in the whole country most of the companies only run every sort of two to three months because you know austria i wouldn't it's not as affluent a country as as the uk but what they do do is that they the the, the promoters go and get sponsorships from businesses in in the town wherever they're running the show you know and they they make sure the shows are really well advertised. You know, there's always, you know, every show I've ever been at there, you know, I think the smallest crowd I've been in front of is 600 people. So you're talking about, it may only be every couple of months, but they're getting 600 to a thousand people in, you know, they're getting sponsors for the shows, which is something that just it very rarely happens over here. Like I, mm. I've run shows and I've, we, I say I've got sponsors basically, Myself and uh, Gilligan Gordon, who's the other promoter, we both had a mate and they ran a business and it looked good for them to give us 500 quid each to get their names on all our posters, basically. I see. You know, it's. I think that, you know, we, we get very well looked after by a lot of promoters and, you know, you just, you know that sometimes things aren't going to be the lap of luxury. No, no, I understand. But still very, very spoiled over the, over in Austria then, I take it. Yeah, so. definitely. <laughs> and you mentioned there... Um, running your own shows uh, uh promoting your own your own shows i mean that's something i was unaware of actually can, can you tell me a bit more about that what were the, yeah, the ups so, and downs um, of that process yeah it was something that that um, me and gilligan gordon did we um we found a venue in churchtown that we'd run in conjunction with 4fw previously dave from 4fw didn't want to carry on running the shows myself and gilligan felt that we could put on a you know our, our aim was never to make thousands of pounds from the show mm-hmm. we wanted to put on a good quality wrestling product we wanted to use some talent that perhaps hadn't been seen on this side of the country or, or exposed very much you know we used Sid Scala before he went on to be an NXT UK he was like the, one of the main guys that we used 
it was just it was a, we ran we ran five shows and it was just a case of diminishing returns and the main reason being is because both me and Luke worked full time we both had fam you know Luke had a young family at the time I've got my stepkids so we just didn't have the time to you know it was just the two of us we didn't have yeah. the time the effort or the manpower to be out doing as much advertising as we could do and it you know everyone that came to the shows was always very complimentary over the standard of the shows, the quality of the production and everything like that. We just didn't get enough people in the seats. We, you know, we needed 140 fans to break even. We managed okay. the first three shows more than that. And then the last two shows, you know, we were under by 15 and then we were under by 20 and we both just decided, look, neither of us can afford to run these shows at a loss. Let's just cut our losses now and and go from there basically no i see okay i mean you say it was in church day and i was asked you know there's people who listen to this show from various yeah. different places they won't be aware of where that is but to me obviously that's just down the road from where i am um i think i can remember a banner or a poster being up outside a community center several yeah. years ago so yeah. what was the, do you mind reminding me what the company was called so it's called gloucester wrestling so yeah that's the one i remember yeah. and it had sid scholar in the middle of the picture and yep yeah. That's it. Oh, that's funny because I remember that, and it it literally came up. A friend of mine took a picture of it and sent it me, knowing yeah. I'm a wrestling fan, um, and said, "Saw you interested in this?" And it came up uh, on my Facebook memories about a week or two ago. So it's really funny you bring <laughs> that up now. That's 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 quite a, that's quite a funny coincidence. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it, you know, it's one of them things. You know, we 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 just weren't prepared to run it at a loss or you know potentially making a further loss on future shows so it's just yeah of course you know it was good to do whilst we did and we put on some good shows but it just it just wasn't to be unfortunately no no yeah no, i understand i mean it's, it's great to sort of i suppose dip your toe into that sort of thing and you know it's not who's to say that you won't be doing something like that again in the future but it's it's good to have a go because at least you know don't you so yeah absolutely and it's you know again it, it, then you can i've been able to help out guys when i've been on shows and mm -hmm. potentially things haven't gone according to their plan and, and they're kind of not running around like headless chickens but i've just gone right do this this and this and they've yeah. done it and that's kind of put their show back on you know back on the straight and narrow after a little bit of a, a minor catastrophe shall we say yeah a bit of a wobble and then your experience can sort of potentially guide these people a little bit no i understand yeah, that's definitely. good Okay, I mean, I've got to ask um, about the world of sport experience. Uh, when world of sport was, you know, the adverts started running and you start hearing things that it's going to be, I suppose you could say coming back because the original world of sport was, you know, wrestling based that my parents would have potentially watched and so on. Um, when when you were seeing these videos and adverts and so on that it's coming back, it's going to be on ITV, which obviously in the UK is a, a free to air channel on a Saturday afternoon. I was hugely excited about this. And then seeing your name attached, um, somebody who I've seen at local shows, uh, I thought was great as well. I mean, I got, it made me even more excited. And my kids as well, because obviously, you know, you know, especially my one daughter is particularly fond of you. To a... <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was, from my standpoint, the idea of it was fantastic. How did you get involved with that? And were there any <clears throat> massive differences working um, for a company basically filming for television as opposed to just working for more like an independent show. Sure. So obviously um, I wasn't involved in the original pilot, you know, they, they, mm -hmm. ITV and, and they, they chose the guys that they wanted to use for that. And obviously I think that their plan was to take those 15 guys, 12 guys, whatever it was, and 
move into this series when it eventually got up and running. Obviously, what happened in between then and there was the, the beginnings of NXT UK started. You know, guys that were on the original pilot got offered contracts with WWE. They took them. That meant that there was roster spots opened up. Again, I was very lucky that some, pe- some people that were already involved in the product were, were you know, mates of mine and they, they put my name forward. And the funny thing was, is ITV were, they, they, they'd already got Adam Maxted sort of signed up and they said, well, wh- what are we going to do with this, this guy, you know, that look, you know, we can't have too many, you know, big musty guys. And everyone was just like, yeah, but it's wrestling. You just need big musty guys for TV. Yeah, so I was lucky enough that sort of probably, I think it was about three and a half weeks before it was due to film myself and about four or five other guys were contacted and, you know, we all jumped to the opportunity, you know, we, you know, we felt that it was something that potentially could have gone on and been, you know, something that was on TV, probably not year round. I don't think it would have ever been a 52 week a year product, but it could have been something that was on, you know, featuring on TV mm. very regularly throughout the year and could have been huge. Um, it did feel that way watching as a viewer as well. I mean, again, to my kids, they were just watching a show they were enjoying. But to me, as a, to me as an adult, as a grown-up, it did feel like they were building towards the series finale, so to speak, rather than as you get weekly television from other companies, if you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. And it, and it, it, it did have that, you know, sort of build towards the end because, you know, it, was, it wasn't a wrestling... It was a wrestling TV product, but it was made and honed by people from TV. So if you had a 10-week drama, it builds to a crescendo. So mm-hmm. that's how they you know, envisioned this being, that you'd go first 10 weeks, crescendo, next 10 weeks, crescendo. You know. That's how I think that they, they felt it was, it was how you should build TV. Now, in hindsight, from, from knowing wrestling and what wrestling fans want, they just want episodic, you know, this happened last week and this is what's happening this week and next week and so on and so forth. Yeah. I think because it was always going to be in a, in a block of filming, there would have had to have been a crescendo. Now, whether that would have built to a point where we'd have been selling pay-per-views and it would have been right. You do 10 weeks of TV and it leads to this big pay-per-view. I don't know. There was a lot of stuff talked about in the process. Um, when we were there and, and filming it, I think that it didn't come across very well in the edit. I think it was edited very poorly. And the reason was is they got someone that had never been involved in sport or wrestling editing to do it. And therefore, the, the aspects of wrestling that draw people in, which is the storytelling of the matches, were taken out in place of move, 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 move. Yeah. Now, no, like if you go back and you watch the, the, the one that's really obvious because I remember it to this day was the first tag match that me and Kip did against um, Joe Hendry and Martin Kirby. Mm-hmm. And that's Kip Sabian who's in yeah, AEW yeah. now, isn't it? Yeah, That's correct, yeah. So there's a bit in there. So if you watch the match on TV, I basically do apparently do nothing in the match because all of my stuff was, right, Kip's this gobby, cocky, arrogant guy and yep. I saved his ass from getting beaten up all the time. So none of my stuff was ever super, super flashy or anything like that. But there was, there was, there was a time, so I, I remember I gave Joe a move, and then we'd already spoken to the, to the camera guy. You know, we're filming for TV. I want to get the best out of it. So we, we've set up this shot where it's the camera guy's down low. You've got Joe selling on his knee and me stalking behind him, and you were supposed to get this 
vision of Joe's head in one place, selling, uh, and me behind him looking. And all of this was just taken out of the TV. So oh, right. I'd me give the move to Joe, and the next bit you turn around and Joe's like making a comeback on me. There was none of this, the drama, the me stalking him, you know. And, and, and that was a lot of the stuff that I did throughout the series because it was the way that, if you think about how I was positioned in that tag team division, I was the biggest guy in that tag team division. Therefore, I should be the one that's just doing a lot of stalking and a lot of, you know, one clothesline from yesterday is, is enough to to take the guy down. But it, it mm-hmm. didn't come across on TV because of the way they edit it. And and the, the final, the tag team final match that we did, where it was me and Kit versus Adam and Nathan, to this day, that's one of my favorite five matches that I've had. We had about 15, 18 minutes. The live crowd was just electric. And it just, when you just saw the edited product, it just just didn't come across that. And it, it, that was the most frustrating part because the 25 guys and girls that were there, we busted our ass for that three days that we filmed that TV. We absolutely, every match was, you know, everyone put in the performance of a lifetime. Yeah. And it just didn't come across that way on TV because of the editing. And that was the most frustrating part of it, basically. No, I can understand. I mean, you, you explain in moments there. It is. It, it's all the like you said. The storytelling is took away, um, and that like that, that that's a huge part of what we're into. Um, when I watched it, I like I said, I I enjoyed the idea. I enjoyed seeing the, some of the guys that I've seen locally or whatever in this country on the television. And from a father standpoint, I, I loved sitting with my kids on a Saturday afternoon. Um, I sometimes would work a Saturday morning, come home, have a bit of lunch, and watch some wrestling with my kids. It was it was great from that aspect, but I do think it could have been a lot more. I mean, there was a a um, a tour, wasn't there, shortly after the TV show finished? Yeah. So, so I mean, how did that go? So the TV show finished in the um, in the September end of September, and then the tour was uh, Jan the last few weeks in January. First week of February, or for last week of January, first two weeks of February, I can't remember exactly. And and again, misinformation and things happening led mm-hmm. to. So basically, there was a tour. There was a, a production company or whatever, however a marketing company, however you want to crown them, that normally do dancing on ice. Um, Strictly Come Dancing tours, right? So okay. those tours are very well... Those programs are very well established. They're in their 10th, 11th season. When they put tours on the live tour on sale, they sell about 90% of their tickets in the first two weeks because it is a well-recognized brand. The ticket sales were going very well for all of the shows, but some of them... And this is we're talking like three months before the shows or two months before the shows... The Bournemouth one that got cancelled, they'd sold 62% of the tickets. But because we hadn't sold the 80% of what this company was normally expecting at that point, they decided to pull the show. Now, knowing wrestling fans, wrestling fans aren't going to buy tickets for shows four or five months in advance. The majority. Your families and kids who have seen it on the TV, oh, live tour, boom, let's get the tickets. Yeah, so those casual fans will buy the tickets because they see the tickets on action, on release, ask Christmas present for the kids. We'll get those tickets. Boom. Your wrestling fans, they'd wait till the week before, two weeks before. And we were 
the higher ups from the wrestling side were trying to uh, explain this to the to the tour company, but they just didn't have it. So then dates got cancelled. Bad press. Oh, the, the tour is is going terrible. You know, da 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 da. da you know. When actual fact, the, the six shows that we ran, we sold out five venues. We oversold in Blackpool. We had 1,500 people in there. And I will put that Blackpool live show, and it was filmed live as well. There was a camera crew there. That's as good as any any production that's happened from a wrestling perspective in this country, NXT UK. It was as good as that. And, and anyone that was on that show will tell you. And it, it was... The crowd were amazing. You know, it was... Just one of them shows that was just perfect from start to finish. And it, it's a real shame because I still see people at shows now and they're like, when's it coming back? The live tour was amazing. We we even felt, even if the TV products had never continued, they could have carried on doing live tours because the yeah, feedback yeah. that we got from fans at the shows and after the shows was everyone loved it. So they definitely could have carried on the live touring aspect going forward. But again... The decision was made. It was, you know, way out, way out of my hands. You know, execs made the decision, and, and it just never materialised, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, that was going to be my next question, really. What you covered there, like, I'm guessing there are no plans then for it to return anytime soon. Your guess is as good as mine. You always hear rumblings, <laughs> or you speak to certain people, and they're like, "Oh, we've still got this on the back burner." But as far as I'm concerned, you know. I can't honestly say I can see it coming back. Mm. If it does come back, it's going to look very, very different because 80% of the roster is now elsewhere. So to me, I, I can't see it coming back. Hell, this is wrestling. A million different things have happened in wrestling. It, there could be conversations going on right now and it could come back next week. I don't know. But as far as I'm concerned, from what I've heard, unfortunately, I don't see A, another season coming on TV and I don't, don't see any live tours or shows happening either. No, it is a bit of a shame. It could have, uh, especially being on ITV on a Saturday afternoon, it could have opened up a whole new generation's eyes, I suppose. It, it is quite a shame. but It could have been huge. We should have all been the new gladiators. We should all be as famous. Yeah, it, was very much, it was very much filmed in that kind of way, I suppose, as well, wasn't it? It's, yeah, to me, I've... members, gladiators and so on, you know? That's what we, you know, and that's what we were told, right? You guys got, you know... You guys are going to be as famous as the gladiators, you know, as you know, and, and kids now are here. Well, who are the gladiators? But when you were a kid in the nineties, oh yes, they were the biggest. <laughs> they, you know, they were the biggest rock stars, sports stars, all rolled into one. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I I, I had a, a poster of Jet on my wall, but that's a different I story. Every, so. I think every uh, every boy did. <laughs> yeah, I think my dad might have as well, but that's again another story. <laughs> I mean, again, the world of sport, it, it, it had quite a few eyes on it as well. Didn't it? it was, it was on, uh, on in the States for a while. Uh, randomly, I think it was picked up in India as well, yeah, which is, was, you know. It was picked up in Poland, South Africa, Australia. Well, that's know, incredible. Everywhere that it was shown on TV, again, positive feedback. Mm-hmm. And, and we, you know, naively maybe, we all thought, right, we'll do live tours in Britain, we'll do live tours here, we'll do live tours there, you know, because it was being sold worldwide we we you know we envisioned ourselves you know and we were told this as well oh you guys could be touring you know all around europe into south africa you know because they would you know they were telling us oh it's being sold here and sold there you know so you know when the when you know when the rose tinted glasses are on and you're you're there and you're all caught up in the moment you think bloody hell i could be a full-time wrestler traveling around the world you know yeah and it just wasn't to be unfortunately 
No, it's a shame. It's a shame. And anyone who's um, listening to this, I believe the show is still available on uh, the Fight app, which you can download. I think they still have the program on there. So if anyone's interested, then by all means, seek it out, have a look. It's a different way of looking at a wrestling show. But I mean, I, I still find enjoyment in it. Um, and there's some great talents on the show. Absolutely. Uh, um, I mean, you, you were tagging there with, with Kip Sabian, um, now of AEW, as a heel team. Um, but during that run it, with it on television, you were a good guy still in Gloucester when I came to see you. How, how, did that, how did that dynamic work? Did you get any kids asking questions about that? I mean, I'll be honest, from my standpoint, Charlie never booed you regardless. You could get, <laughs> you could get away with anything. She would still think you're wonderful, my, my youngest daughter. She still, you know, she still think you're the biggest baby face ever. But <laughs> was there ever an, an occasion where... That caused an issue if you're working good guy at a local show, but on on this television program, you're 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 a big bad guy. Um, I don't I don't remember anyone really questioning. It. I think they might have said, "Oh well, you were a bit nasty on that show," you know. <laughs> you know. And I'll just say, look, I was trying to win the match, you know. Yeah. You know the same way that you know, and I whoever I was wrestling him, you know, wherever it was, about the same way that so and so tried to to cheat to be, you know, you just you just played it off. And and the thing is, is you know, most people, you know, they know, you know, the the curtain's been pulled back, shall we say. Yeah. But with those kids, you just say, look, I was trying to win the match. I was trying to do everything. You know, there was big money on the line, tag team titles on the line. You know, you, you can, you can, you just, you, you know, you give them, you know, the line I was doing anything to win, yeah. basically. Oh, you've only got to look back at potentially one of the biggest baby faces of all time in Hulk Hogan. That guy cheated all the time. You know, so. <laughs> everything he did as a baby face he was cheating raking the eyes raking the back yeah exactly totally you know. <laughs> it cracks me up watching things back I mean I've been watching back um, Wrestlemania 5 and Wrestlemania 4 and a few other shows for um, a podcast I'm doing in the next week and it just even though I know it's coming it still amazes me how often you see Hogan just outright cheat it's you know it still astounds me to this day. But the rules are in, for him. in the eye of the watcher, basically the eye of the viewer. So he was the biggest baby face. So it didn't matter whether he was cheating or not cheating. He could he could do no wrong, basically. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, okay, with regards to that, I suppose heel, baby face, and so on. Did you have a preference? Are you happy with either? Same with singles and tags, I suppose, because you were working. I've seen you work tags. I've seen you work singles and so on. Do you have a preference, or are you happy either way? Whatever I'm, whatever I'm asked to do by the promoter on that night, you know, I, I feel that I'm a good enough professional that you can get me to do X, Y, or Z, and I'll do it to the best of my ability, and I will fill the role that, that the promoter wants me to fill on that particular night, on that particular show, as good as anyone else, basically. It, it doesn't really matter to me what, what I'm asked to do. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so one last thing here before we get to your uh, bin it, book it best. Um, I need to ask about the NXT UK matches you had. Um, sure. How did how did that come about? What was the process? Was it like a tryout? Did they reach out to you? Or yeah, how did that so, so I'd had a tryout November 2017. Um, performed well at the tryout. Didn't get a job. Whatever. You know, that is what it is. That's the nature of trying out. Yeah. And then I was just going about my business. And then I got contacted by... Um, so, and I've been in contact, uh, or oh, to preface this, I kept in contact with um, William Regal throughout. I'd sent him some matches. He'd give me some feedback on stuff. You know, oh, not, fantastic. You know, not not weekly. You know, we're talking every couple of months. You know, mm-hmm. every three months or whatever. That, you know, I'm, I, I'd just check in with him. 
And then I was contacted by someone else. Yes, do you want to come to a tryout? November last year at the Performance Centre. Yep, brilliant. Um, went down, performed well at the tryout. Um, and then there were some guys that were asked because they were filming TV the following week. Um, my work and family commitments meant that I couldn't just stay on. You know, I, you know, there were some guys that were able to do that. So um, then I was lucky enough to get invited. I, I got to go down, you know, and this is one of those experiences I'm forever grateful for. I got to basically go and be, you know, a member of the NXT UK team for a week. So I went down, I trained at the Performance Centre, um, obviously went along to the TV tapings. I was used in dark matches on, on both nights. And, you know, it was just a, a great experience to be involved in, basically. And, you know, getting to learn from the best coaches in the world and, you know, be a part of the biggest company in the world, even if it was just for, for two nights. Yeah, and that, that, that does sound fantastic. And it is, it, it must be an absolute dream. I mean, anyone getting into the business must, I suppose, always look at the end game being wwe whether that's via nxt or whatever um so that must be an absolute like you said dream to be involved in that that, that sounds fantastic yeah it was just it was just a fantastic experience you know and then obviously lockdown and everything happened after that i haven't heard much from them you know i've kept in contact with mr regal there may be opportunities in the future there may not you know i, I, I you know i'm at a place now uh you know i'm forever grateful for the opportunities that I've been given and if nothing else comes of it I've been lucky enough to wrestle in front of a million people on TV wrestle in a WWE ring on a, on a show be trained at the performance center you know it, I've, I've been lucky enough to do some fantastic things that I never thought would be be the case when I started wrestling probably 15 16 years ago no definitely and again that that, that list of accomplishments you put there is just astounding in itself so no, I hope uh, I hope everything does pan out how you want. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, as we're sort of approaching the end of the chat now, I've gone on a little bit longer than I anticipated. But again, thank you very much for for spending no, no some problem. time talking it, to me. You know, it, hasn't, it hasn't it hasn't felt like we've been chatting for an hour. It's no problem at all. Great stuff. I mean, I'm not going to lie. There's many members of my family that uh, think I talk too much, and they're, <laughs> they're happy that I've started a podcast. So I'm not chewing their ear off. So I'm afraid guys like you have to listen to me instead. But there we go. Um, yeah, so as I've explained on previous shows, I like to try and close off with a little segment I call Bin It, Book It Best. Um, for those who haven't heard before, um, it's basically my guest at yesterday at this time to um, effectively act as a wrestling god or a wrestling time traveller and change things in the past. Um, for a start, <laughs> Bin It is basically an opportunity to wipe from history something that you absolutely hate whether it's something embarrassing something terrible uh, a bad angle something distasteful i mean god knows there's plenty of those things that have come out of wwe for a start um, and that's your bin it it's erased from time book it something that you've potentially seen really enjoyed but feel a title change should have happened or it didn't end the way you think it should have or maybe it should have been better or you would have just liked to have seen a different outcome and then lastly and to finish the show on something positive uh, best and that's your utmost favorite of something wrestling orientated whether that's a particular match you always go back to a certain wrestler an event anything at all that just makes you love professional wrestling um so justin with your bin it please take it away okay so gonna be controversial here intergender wrestling okay should, should 
and this is my take on it, and this is how wrestling was was sort of passed down to me through training and through me watching it. We're trying to portray a sporting contest. Mm-hmm. If you can name me any other full contact sport, particularly a you know a fighting sport where men and women are on the same playing field and fight against each other as equals, it just doesn't happen. Therefore, our job as wrestlers is to suspend people's disbelief. Yes, exactly. There, there is no way that if you take me, I weigh 18 stone, I'm six foot three, you put me against, a, and this is, this is being generous to a woman, a five foot five, ten stone woman. Now, if that mm-hmm. was a five foot five, ten stone bloke, would it not just be, you know, in the people's minds that it would be 99% me and 1% that guy? So when it's a woman put in that position, it would be exactly the same. I think that it is something that it just goes against the whole process of wrestling. Now, people go, wrestling's art, wrestling's this, wrestling's just fun, silly, whatever. That's their perspective on it. This is just mine. Put it in the bin. It should have never happened. It should never happen. And I will happily argue, discuss with anyone that has got a contrary point of view to this. But to me, it just... It just spoils what wrestling is. It's a really interesting take, actually. When you said I'm going to be a bit controversial here, I'm not going to lie. I sort of, you know, <laughs> I don't know oh, where are we going here. But no, I mean that's. I can see why that could be a controversial take. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's lots of people who sort of try and be positive about intergender wrestling, and um, like you said, talk about it as an art form and, and so on. But the points you make, I don't think can be argued. The whole suspension of disbelief and comparing it to other physical or combat sports it does make perfect sense the, the, the way you've explained that um yeah no I can, I can totally see where you're coming from there okay uh your book it please sir so i had to think long and hard about this because i try not to do the what ifs and but mm-hmm. there was now bear with me when ryback was as hot as ryback could have been in wwe they should have pulled the trigger on him and put the title on him so there was a time when he was against CM Punk where he was red hot, and there was other times as well. I think it's a missed opportunity. Now, I see wrestling from a business perspective. I think the right back could have made the WWE even more money than he probably did with merchandise. He was the most over thing on the TV at certain points. And I think yeah, that whole feed me more chance and so on. More, yeah. The crowd, you know, excuse the pun, eating out the palm of his hand. They, they missed an opportunity there, definitely. Yeah, I can see that as well. I mean, I, I was never a huge, huge Ryback fan. Um, I, I, but I can see how how he was popular in certain circles, and the, and you can't deny the pop from the crowd. You can't deny the people chanting along. Um, no, I can totally agree with that as well. That's that's a, that's a great take. He, he could have potentially gone on and been something special. And you look at guys like I suppose. Well, you Bill look at Goldberg. Bill Goldberg. Right? Oh, there you go. Say, when brought <laughs> Bill Goldberg back, that was basically Ryback, and this is no disrespect to Goldberg, a 50-year-old guy who's in, who was in, by the end of his stuff, was in the match he had against Lesnar at mm-hmm. Mania 33. I was there. That was as good as Bill Goldberg has ever been. It has been a very slippery slope since yeah. that day. And you people talk about Goldberg, Ryback was in when he was in WWE was everything Goldberg was then 
but so much more because he wasn't a fifty-year-old man whose whose body was failing him, basically. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, that's exactly as I, we both said it at the same time, roughly. Didn't we? I mean, you look you look at the whole Goldberg thing, the Ryback character would have been perfect to step into that role. So no, I see where you're coming from with that. And finally, to finish off on something nice and positive, to send everyone away smiling, uh, can we have your best for you, sir? So it's got, it's, it's going to be a, a two two uh, two two matches answer here because I mentioned no the problem. first one. So WrestleMania Seven, on Warrior, Match of Man Randy Savage, the retirement match. If you just want to look at wrestling in the most, you know, um, simplistic form where everything is is so easy for you to tell what's going on. Good guy, bad guy, career on the line. The match is just perfect. I don't think Warrior had a better match than that. He might have had a couple of close ones with Rick Rude at times, but to me, that was as good as the Warrior. You know, they went 28 minutes, 27 minutes. Most Warrior matches are two minutes, 27 seconds, you know. So credit to Macho Man for getting the Warrior through that type of match, but the match to me is just fantastic. Second one goes back to the Royal Rumble 2000. Cactus Jack, Triple H, the Street Fight. That's yeah, as good as any match. Stuff. That's as good as any match there's been, if you ask me. Mm. Triple H is a, you know, just coming into his own. Foley has has been there, done that. You know, the gimmick is just built. You know, built for him. The matches. The only bit that spoils it is when they use the fake barbed wire bat the second time when it's hidden under the. But that's a very little minor, you know, knock off what what is basically a perfect match. Yeah, it is. It's great. It's great, isn't it? I mean, the stun, slamming him on the pallets as well. I think he got a, a chunk of wood wedged in his leg, didn't he, Triple H? Yeah, and... it was pretty horrific if you actually, yeah. actually showed it and stuff like that. Yeah, but again, that's a, that's a, a great pay-per-view in general, and that match really does stand out as well. I mean, they, they worked, um, I think it was No Way Out. They had another match, didn't they? Yeah, a month, the, a month the later, and that, that's right, yeah. and that was good as well. I mean, there was just chemistry between the two, and but that Royal Rumble match was, was superb. I mean, I spoke with... Um, David Eaton recently uh, an interview for the show and first of all he was very complimentary about yourself um, but <laughs> but then he also pinpoints Royal Rumble 2000 as a, an important event for him that sort of brought him back into wrestling as well so that's quite interesting hearing the pair of you sort I, of make the same it, points if it, yeah and I think it was just you know it, it was almost a perfect storm of it probably got a lot of people back into wrestling because it was the first time that WWE was or WWF, you know, which everyone everyone knows wrestling is WWF. You know, WCW mm-hmm. was big for a short period of time. WWF was wrestling. And that was the first time it had been free-to-air TV on Channel 4, you know, in, in uh, you know, and the world of sport finished before, you know, before I really knew what TV was and stuff like that. I think it finished in 86 or 87, so I was three or four years old. Yeah. Never, w, that was the last time that WWF, because I think the last there were some WWF matches that got shown right at the end of World of Sport. So you're talking, you know, 13, 14 years with no WWF on TV. Everyone knew about WWF, and I think it was just a, a, a an event that got a lot of people back into wrestling that had probably fallen away from it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And when you've got a match like that, and then, of course, The Rock... You know, Mr. Charisma himself winning the Rumble is going to just attract viewers, isn't it? So, and it was a great yeah. pay-per-view from start to finish. You know, the first match with Angle and Taz, Taz, yeah, all, all the way through. You know, there, it was all 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 thriller, no filler, as they say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was it was great stuff. It's funny you mentioned WCW there as well. Um, 
I'm a big fan of early WCW stuff. And for a little while, we had Worldwide on ITV. Um, if you remember, on a Saturday afternoon, that was yeah, kind I of do, I, I early entries for me, I suppose. But it, dev- it never compared with the WWF at all for me in that early stage. So. Yeah, and going back as a you know as a wrestler now, I go back and I watch a lot of the late '80s, early '90s WCW because you had all the best workers in the world at that time wrestling mm-hmm. in the company, and it it's just a way of how they put together the matches, how they get the heat, how they sell, you know, all of that stuff is you know it's one of the best resources for people to to learn from, definitely. I mean, I I, I say now as an adult looking back at that time, I I love it now. Steamboat Roads. Uh, Rick Rude, I'm a huge Rick Rude fan, so seeing him, the match yard, uh, well, the matches with Steamboat at Beach Blast and so on, just fantastic stuff. Oh, yeah. So much great stuff there. And actually, funnily enough, as we talk today, looking at the date, I mean, this this episode won't be out for a week or so, but as we talk today, it's the 25th anniversary of the first episode of Nitro today, so that's a little, nice little tie-in to end on, maybe. you're walking in in the Minnesota Mall of America or whatever it was. That's right, with his wonderful shirt and mullet combo. He looked like he was going to sing sing opera with that shirt he had on. Yeah, I didn't think of that. That's that's very true, yeah. (laughs) Okay, right, well, again, uh, yes, thank you very much for your time. I can't, uh, I can't tell you enough how I appreciate this. My daughter is going to be crazy excited. A little bit of context for people listening. Um, we see Yestin quite regularly at our local wrestling shows, Evolution Wrestling here in Gloucester. A great company to go and see. Um, and my daughter absolutely worships Mr. Reese. Thinks he's the greatest <laughs> man walking the planet. Has more pictures of him in her bedroom than she does me, her own father. Um, so when she knows that, oh, well, she, she's aware I've been talking to you. I said that she <laughs> want to pop down and say hello, but she went all silly and embarrassed. So um, when she hears this back, I imagine she'll be over the moon. So thank you very much for taking time to uh, have a chat with me. Um, if you care to, sir, please let everyone know whereabouts they can find you online, on Twitter, Facebook, wherever you may have contacts. Yeah, so um, Instagram and um, Twitter is the same as Yestin underscore Reese. Um, Facebook, I believe, is official Yestin Reese or Yestin Reese official, but there's not many Yestin Reese's. So if you search the like page on there for Yestin Reese, I tend to pop up um, pretty quickly. Um, and that's you know that's where you can find me on the on the socials. Yeah, okay. And when, when the episode comes out, um, I'll be tagging you in it anyway, so people will see your Twitter handles and your Facebook and so on. Yeah, absolutely. From yeah, there. Sure um, well shared. Yestin is a very, very talented fella. I honestly cannot stress this enough. You really do need to go and see this guy work if he pops up on a show local to you. Um, when lockdown is done and dusted and very much in the background, um, hopefully people will be back out wrestling to entertain people and Yestin entertains people very very well it is well worth checking out his work I cannot stress that enough and again been fantastic to my been fantastic to my family whenever we've been there it made a big you being as welcoming and nice as you were to my little girl on certain events basically is the reason why we still come to events now I think she would have completely lost interest so I cannot thank you enough for that so Simon, it's been my pleasure, and you're always a great fan. It's great to see your family when you come to the live shows. The podcast, you're doing a great job there. Keep it up. Thank you very much. Okay, um, hopefully when lockdown is done and dusted, I can have you back on. We can talk about a bit of the stuff that's going on on the telly and uh, have another conversation about wrestling. 
might be my pleasure. Not a problem at all. Great stuff. Thank you very much for coming on. I'll speak to you soon. No worries. Take it easy. Cheers.